Good morning. I'd like to welcome each of you to this service this morning. Let's begin. Let's begin here with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, a day set aside to come out and worship you. Thank you for what we've heard so far, and just pray that you would give me the words you'd have for me to speak. Give me clarity of mind. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn, me, <clears throat> turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll read the first 17 verses. Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied, wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which, was, which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, and found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. As I looked over this passage and the context in which it is found, I realized chapter 12 seems to be a continuation of the thought that chapter 10 left off with. Chapter 10 talks about being faithful. We read in chapter 10, 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, which without, with our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
Then stuck between 10 and 12, we have chapter 11, a well-known, the well-known faith chapter, where we see examples of people who were faithful through various circumstances that Satan used to try to get them to give up. And then the author, who may have been Paul, but we don't really know for sure who wrote Hebrews, continues to exhort us to be faithful in chapter 12. <clears throat> Today, we want to think of on the subject of running with patience. Patience, it's more than just waiting in line. It takes longer than you wish it would without getting worked up. Webster defines patience as bearing or enduring pain, difficulty, provocation, or annoyance with calmness. So the main point of this message is to be an encouragement not to quit the race. The Christian life can be viewed as a race. Maybe I'll draw a little illustration up here. Just a race. There's the racetrack. Represents our life. Christian life is a race. Races, different lengths for different people. The goal is to run from start to finish faithfully, without quitting. Those who quit don't finish and don't win. Quitting can mean to completely lose interest in being a Christian. And yet, and, but quitting can also be more subtle. Deciding that obedience in some areas is not necessary. There's two types of racetracks. Some are just straight, and others are circular. Some be that represents a detour in the race. Trying to skip one part of the race, and we'll look at that a little more later. As the race we're on, which is our Christian journey, seems to be long, there are things that we need to remember. And we will start by looking at a little bit here in Hebrews 10. And I'll read a few verses. Hebrews 10, starting with verse 32. But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions, partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while ye became companions of them which were so used, 
For he had compassions of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense a reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. We see a call to repentance, a call to remembrance here. Remember why. Why did we ever start this race in the first place? We see here the, in verse 32 the idea of being illuminated. I take from that, I take the thought from there that each one of us at the beginning of our Christian life realized in some way that we were in darkness. And we repented of our sins and became illuminated. To illuminate means to light up. If we turn all the lights off, well, right now it won't get much darker. But if it was dark outside, it all it would get completely dark in here. If you turn the lights on, that's called illumination for the younger ones in our audience. A word we don't tend to use very much. At least I don't. Everyone must come to the point that they realize that they need a Savior. And I trust that many of us here have. So the reason for starting is also a reason to continue the race. If we realize that we were in darkness before we started the race and began the race, to quit the race would mean to return to darkness. Why go back? We decided back then it wasn't where we wanted to be. So why go back now? Now most people who quit the race, their Christian journey, or skip part of the race, do not, probably don't mean to say that they don't need a Savior. I suppose there's some who for various reasons do come to that conclusion. But most of the time, there's something else that makes them give up. Part, or, part of the race or the whole race. But what happens if we were to skip part of the race? What happens if we decide that part over there is not necessary, we make a detour? Typically in the race, if you don't run the whole race and make a detour, it results in disqualification. And yet people say that they've come to the realization that a certain scripture that they've been taught all their life to obey isn't really, God didn't really mean that for our day. It's not really applicable anymore. They think they've been enlightened, enlightened to the point of believing obedience is not necessary, not necessary. But that is not enlightenment. When we became a Christian, we surrendered our lives to the will of God. And to surrender our lives to the will of God means that we will obey Him. 
Romans 12, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul exhorts us to make our lives a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice has the privilege of getting off the altar, if they so choose. But that is not staying on the, in the race. Remember why you started the race and use that also as a reason to continue. And then we're exhorted also to remember what we have endured so far. The Hebrews here apparently endured considerable, a certain amount of persecution. We see in verse 33, see a great, they had, oh, actually in verse 32, yeah, we see they endured a great fight of afflictions. They were persecuted. And in 32, 33, we see they were made a gazing stock. A gazing stock would be someone who is set in public view and made an example of. Basically to shame them for the purpose of encouraging others not to do what they were doing. They were reproached. To suffer reproach is to be disapproved of, to be criticized, and to be shamed. And they were afflicted. That gets a little more physical. A lot of people that are persecuted do experience physical pain. People in the past have been beaten. I'm talking mainly of things that have been that you live through, necessarily. If you're being reminded what you endured, obviously you haven't been a martyr at this point. But people have suffered some serious things for following God. And we see some of that in chapter 11. And those who were not necessarily being persecuted yet, they were willing to be associated with the persecuted. You see, they became companions of them of them who were so used, those who were also persecuted. So if you're escaping persecution, you'd think there'd be a tendency to try to hide and not take the risk of being associated. Human nature would leave us to believe that's what we should do. But they wanted fellowship. They wanted to support those who were being persecuted, and they took the risk. And most likely, it resulted in them being found out who they really were too and being persecuted. The persecution here was not working as the enemy intended. They were having the victory. They were joy they were taking joyfully the spoiling of their goods. They were, and they were willing to lose, risk losing property. They put everything on the line to follow Christ. Because they had their hope in another world. Nothing else mattered. Because they realized they had in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Verse 35, where well, they and us are exhorted, cast not away therefore your confidence. Don't give up. 
and having you have an and having you have an enduring substance. The author here knew the tendency to become weary and faint. As we read in chapter 12, we'll get there soon. Chapter 12, 3, he says, Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Enthusiasm of serving Christ, no matter the cost, can cool in time. Jesus told the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Well, I'll look at Matthew's version of it. There was a stony soil. And he explains it here in chapter 13, verse 20. But he that received the seed in stony place is the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath no root in himself, but endureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He gives up. We need patience. The race is long, for many of us anyway. We dare not lose sight of the goal. The goal is to finish well. And there is a warning. I didn't read it yet. I did not read it. It's verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. There is a danger of becoming just an enemy of God if we turn back. We must live by faith, obeying God, in spite of feelings, circumstances, or consequences. And one more thing to remember is that others have been faithful. We'll look at a, briefly at a few examples here in Hebrews 11. These are people who are faithful despite the circumstances that came their way, circumstances they found themselves in. First one is Abel. He offered a pleasing sacrifice. It is my belief that the sacrifice that Cain and Abel were expected to bring was a sin offering, and therefore had to be a blood offering. And that was why Cain was not accepted. Now, we don't know what kind of conversations may have taken place between Cain and Abel before the offering, but I could imagine that possibly there was some discussion, or heated discussion possibly, at least on one side. Perhaps Abel was ridiculed ahead of time, and his obedience resulted in him getting killed. Then there's Enoch. Enoch, we don't read a whole lot about in Scripture, but we read in Genesis that he walked with God. In Hebrews 11, we see that he pleased God. It seems he lived in a, that the world was, had already become wicked in Enoch's day. The way I figured, it was when he got pulled out of the world by God, it was still 670 years till the flood. But he shows up also in Jude. 
And I get the idea the world was quite wicked. In Jude, verse 14, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them, all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of the hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Appears he's referring to the kind of people that lived in his day. We get the idea they were quite wicked. And it says he prophesied. So perhaps Enoch was a prophet of his day. Then there was Noah, a man of faith, who moved with fear, did the, did the seemingly ridiculous, and saved his house. He believed God, and he built the ark on dry land. A seemingly foolish thing to do. And most likely he was made fun of for many years. And Abraham clung to a promise that seemed impossible for years before he received the promise. And Moses' parents were not afraid of the king's command. At least not afraid enough to obey it. It's an excellent to challenge to parents in our day. Parents need to reject cultural pressures around them. Pressures to allow culture to shape their children. And in a few short years, they were able, they were able to shape Moses so that he was, could not be, or he was not influenced by the affluent society in which he lived. By faith, Moses, when he was come of two years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses had everything. And yet, he wanted, he was willing to suffer affliction with the people of God. So the message for us is this. Others have been faithful, and so can we. As we come to chapter 12, the second point is looking unto Jesus. Remember Peter and the account when he walked on the water? Jesus invited Peter to walk on the water. And Peter, without thinking much of it, hopped out of the boat and began to walk on water. Many looked around, realized he was walking on water, and this is dangerous. He got scared and began to sink. What happened? He took his eyes off Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is our perfect example. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He ran the race of life in this world also. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Read that in Hebrews 4.15. Jesus proved that the race can be won to live according to the will of God. Author and finisher gives the impression of being the judge of the games. Seems the author here, Hebrews, has some knowledge of the Grecian games. They were sort of like our Olympics. In the Grecian games, the judge admitted the contenders. He decided who was going to run, left them into the race, 
probably gave them direction how to run, and then gave the prize to the winner. Now, in this race of life, who wins? It's not just the one who does it the fastest. It's everyone. Everyone can win. We turn to 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Paul writes at the end of his life, Actually, starting in verse 7. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. So Paul did well. But we don't have to outdo Paul to win. And not to me only, but unto all them also, that love is appearing. The spiritual race is different from a physical race in that everyone who finishes wins. And everyone's race looks a little bit different. It's okay if we don't think we can live up to Paul's example, traveling the world, preaching the gospel. Paul looks like a Spiritual super, superhero. We just need to be faithful in every situation and we will win the race. We are not to quit. Once again, we see in Hebrews here in 12.4, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. You haven't endured everything there is to endure. You haven't endured everything that Jesus endured. Jesus is our example. Jesus kept his eyes on the goal. Jesus did not allow circumstances to get him off track. And neither should we. When Jesus faced the temptation in wilderness with Satan, he was tempted at a very weak point. And he did not give in to those circumstances. Jesus was able to persevere. Jesus endured the cross. The cross was the ultimate of what Christ endured. It was a shameful experience to be put on the cross. It was the worst kind of execution the Romans could come up with. And they used it on what they considered to be their worst criminals. And consider what he endured. Jesus endured the contradiction of sinners. I think that refers to constant opposition. Maybe not quite constant at the beginning of his ministry, but at the end, people were constantly on him, constantly opposing him. And yes, they did not recognize who he was or refused to recognize who he was, as we heard earlier. If they did recognize it, they refused to acknowledge it. And Jesus suffered for us. Can't we suffer a short time for him? Jesus left the splendor of heaven. Jesus was despised by many, 
And most of those who seemed to like him did so only for what they could get from him. And in his death, he was forsaken by most, and nobody understood his purpose. He could have felt like a complete failure, but he didn't. At that point, nobody, none of his followers, got it. Consider also how he endured. He endured with impatience. Jesus shared love, but he did confront wrong. Jesus kept his eyes on the goal. His goal was to be an example for us and to ultimately be the savior of the world. The joy that was set before him was the fact that sinful men could, be, could have a restored relationship with God. Sometimes we sing about him bringing us rebels back to God. And sometimes, as we're all in this race of life, we need some correction, some discipline. We need to look to Jesus also during times of chastisement. There's several verses here that talk about chastisement. Verse 5, we read, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Do not despise chastisement. Now, oftentimes, chastisement does not come directly from God. God does not boom from heaven. You're off course, get back on course. Sometimes he can reveal it to us in his word. Oftentimes he uses other people in a Matthew 18 sort of way. We are not to despise this. No, this chastisement is not fun. But why do parents discipline their children? Hopefully it's because of love. It's for their good. Chastisement is necessary to help us run well. We're not running well if we're slightly off course. The longer we run off course, the further off course we get. And God is the same. In the same way as parents discipline their children because of love, God also does. Discipline or chastisement is proof that God loves us. It is proof that we are his children. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. God wills to transform us. In Romans 8.29 we read, Romans 8.29, For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's goal is to transform us into the image 
of his son. God wants to make us holy. That is sanctification. We need to allow God to work out sanctification in our lives, removing things that ought not to be there. And allow chastisement to yield fruit. Here in verse 11 of Hebrews 12, Now no chastening for the present time, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. If we allow, if we allow chastisement to drive us to God, we will become Christ-like. Now, I don't, I don't believe that necessarily every trial that comes our way is necessarily because there's some sin in our life. Turn to James. Got several verses on trials. He's trying to figure out if trials are necessarily, necessarily chastisement or not. James chapter 1, we'll read verses 2 and 4, 2 through 4. James 1 verse 2, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Trials build patience. Trials come our way may not be because of some sin in our life, but it might be to bring us to the realization there's something in our life that is not for our edification. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.23, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Sometimes God just wants to chip away areas in our life that are not edifying. Might not be wrong, might not be completely contrary to Scripture, but they can create a weight to hold us back from running well. A weight that at some point might become a snare to us. And then in James chapter 4, he says in verses 12 and 13, That's not what I thought. Unless I got the wrong verse. Anyway, the thought is, we're not supposed to think it's strange when we fall into diverse temptations. Don't think it's strange. They're for our good. Yeah, I wrote down the wrong reference. I'm not sure where it is. Then in James 5, verse 11, we read about Job. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The patience of Job. Job, 
in the story of Job, God allowed Satan to torment Job to prove that Job would not curse him. It was not because of some sin in his life. And yet there were things in Job's life that he could learn through the situation. Sometimes God allows trials in us to bring him glory, to draw others to himself because of our response. The story is told. I'm not sure if it's true or not. Stories go around and eventually, I'm not sure if they're true. I won't say it's true, but the story is told of a couple who had experienced the birth of a Down syndrome child. And there in the hospital, there was an, I believe she was an atheist nurse. And she thought, this is going to be good. This will bring them down. This is a Christian couple. So in some ways, she listened in on the conversation when the mother called, when the mother of the baby called her mother to announce the birth and said that, and she says, that God has blessed us with a Down syndrome child. We don't know the nature of this blessing, but we're going to trust him. And that drew that atheist nurse to the Lord. Yes, sometimes God allows trials in our lives for the benefit of others. Are we okay with that? Can we stay on course when life gets tough? Circumstances reveal our soil type. Is our soil good or are there stones underneath? When life gets tough, we need, to give, we need to dig deeper into the Word. Just like plants send their roots downward when there's not enough rain. And ultimately, that could be good for a plant. So that when the bigger winds come along, they don't blow over. Then our third point, we're exhorted to be diligent. Back to Hebrews 12. We see an exhortation to diligence in 15, looking diligently. We'll get that a little bit. Look at the rest of the verse later. But being diligent, we are not to allow, being diligent not to allow ourselves to grow weary. The Christian life is filled with trials and opposition, as we've seen. And these experiences can cause us to grow weary because the race is long. We get tired of it, or we could, to slow down, to lose zeal. We lose zeal and we begin to compromise. Or the tendency is to compromise if we're losing zeal. And Satan comes along as an opportunist and what he perceives to be our weakest moments, and says, Yea, hath God said? And we begin to question, did God really mean it? To sit down, and the tendency is to get tired of the race, to sit down, surrender, to give up the fight, and become a casualty along the race. We're exhorted to lift up, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees. As we run our race, if you run a race for a long time, you get tired and you begin to droop your knees and you're not running so fast anymore. When hands are hanging down, you're not running well. When you're running well, you're up and your hands are pumping, you look 
invigorated. You need to refocus. If we start feeling tired, we need to refocus and regain zeal. And remember, why did we start this race? Lifting up hands could also refer to lifting up the hands of others, I believe. Think of the instance of Aaron and Hur. They held up Moses' hands during that battle. Because Aaron, because Moses was getting tired. We are in this race together. We need to lift up others when they are tired. Make sure they don't become a casualty. We are our brother's keeper. And again, this is not a race where we stride out to do all others. Our goal is to be that to finish strong and also that others finish strong. We're not to outdo others, not to get keep ahead. All of our fellow racers, we need to help. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. This should be invigorating. Jesus was an example. He ran the race in this world, and we can too. We need to rise above the waves. Waves can represent the trials and unfavorable circumstances that come our way. Now, I'm not quite sure what it's like to walk on water. I never had the opportunity. I don't know if when a wave comes along, if you just go up over the wave, or if you stay where you are and the wave splashes around at your knees. And I don't know. But don't focus on the waves. They don't matter. Focus on Jesus. Everything we face is allowed by God or is sent from God for one purpose, to conform us into Christ's image, as we already looked at in Romans 8.29. Some things we face in life are bad. Sometimes we do suffer from others' wrong choices. But God is big enough to use these circumstances for his purpose and for our good. During those circumstances that are hard, just need to trust God and be faithful and not give up and check out of the race. We're exhorted also, in verse 13, to make straight paths for our feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Straight in this sense could mean straight. A straight path is easy to follow. You can see where you're going. Straight can also refer to level, honest, upright. A level path is easier to walk. A path without things in your way to trip you up. Nobody's ever created a racetrack that's meant for running on with rocks, pieces of firewood, boulders that you have to jump over. To trip, racetracks are not made with things to trip you up. So we should not allow things in our lives that would trip us up. Keep the path straight. We're exhorted in the scripture to make no provision for the flesh. These provisions can cause us to fall down and become injured. 
a single focus, keeping our eyes on Jesus, will make for a straight path, will keep us running straight. We need to keep the path straight so that when circumstances come our way that are painful, and when Satan does try to trip us up, and there's nothing there that we've allowed that would help us trip up. Because sometimes, sometimes we do get weary. When we do, we need to make sure we have, had, we have made our path straight. And straight paths are also for others' benefit. What kind of path are we leaving others? What kind of example are we? Getting off the path has consequences. Compromise is getting off the path. As we saw earlier, Satan hits us when he perceives that we are the most vulnerable. And compromise typically results in going further than anticipated, getting sucked off course. Those of us who drive have at least know that you want to stay on the road. But this week it snowed. What happens if you're driving down the road, the road's cleared up, cleared off real nice, there's snow along the road. If you get off course, you rear off to the right, how easy is it to pull back in? If you're going along at 50 mile an hour and one wheel gets off, what happens? You get sucked. You get sucked right off course. Hopefully you don't know what that's like. But it, it'll happen. And that's the same with compromise. It will pull us off course. Now, yes, there's opportunity for repentance. But if things go the way Satan likes, we'll continue to compromise more and more and more. And he would hope that we'd never get back on. And we need to be aware of the dangers of being pulled off course. And these straight paths are also for others' benefit. Again, we're in this together. If we keep the path, if we, if we keep on the path, others are encouraged to follow. Hebrews 11 is filled with examples for us of people who kept the faith, regardless of circumstances. Each one of us can live in the same victory and be examples to others and encourage them. When others have been wounded, when they're going through troubles and trying times, they can seek help from those who are running well. But if we're getting off track ourselves, we're not in any position that we can help others. When we, are most, when we are most susceptible to turning away, we are also in danger of turning others away. Because... People are watching us, whether we know it or not. All of us are setting examples for others. Let us not walk in a way that could turn weaker ones away. Now, unfortunately, as we go through life, there are times others will stray. People that we never expected to see it happen in. And this could be considered a wave. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not be pulled aside. 
because as people totally rear off course and go a different direction, they create a vacuum, so to speak, and will have a tendency others will follow in the same wrong course. But we, can, we must make sure that we stay on course even if others do not. We're exhorted also to follow peace with all men. We must live peaceably with our fellow runners. Again, this is not a competition. We don't push others out of the way. We don't cut in front of them, try and outdo them. This is not a competition. We yield our rights. We help others along. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with other, with all men. We're exhorted, exhorted in Scripture. Now, this is not a call to peace at any cost. There are times that there will be a lack of peace. We must never compromise principle for peace. Jesus himself said that there will be times that as we follow him, that we will be at odds with other people. As he said in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is what happens when people choose to follow Christ. And other people that they know choose not to. We follow Christ. Regardless of the cost. Regardless who does and who does not choose to. And yes, unfortunately, sometimes choosing Jesus will cause division. But we're exhorted to live peaceably. Too often, people just fight over things that should not be fight, fought over. And it causes people and even whole churches at times to lose focus. And this is one of Satan's tactics. Satan loves to cause division. Follow holiness also, we're exhorted to do. Avoid things that would defile yourselves. Live lives of continued sanctification. Live in the pursuit of holiness. There is a lot of filth in this world. We are to avoid as much of it as possible. Again, make no provision for the flesh. Sometimes filth is, cannot be avoided. It gets thrown our way. I believe typically in things that we see and things that we hear. Sometimes we see things that are put in our path. It's not our fault they're there. They're there to trip us up. Sometimes we hear things. There are stories that we at times need to get in, and the music is not edifying. There was an individual that I had a formulated business dealing with some years ago, and when you called him, 
and I called him on several occasions in a short time period. There was no ringing on the other end. I don't know if any of you ever experienced that. The only time I ever did. It didn't ring. His favorite song came on. So as I waited for him to answer the phone, I had to listen to his filth. That's tough. Try to hold it away from your ear as much as possible and get still recognized when he answers his phone. We need to focus on what is right. We need to train our mind. Philippians, in Philippians 4.8, we're exhorted, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. We must train our mind. And we need to shake off the filth that gets thrown our way. Sometimes it's not our fault. We still have to deal with it. Get rid of it. And beware of the root of bitterness. Bitterness begins as a small thing and can consume a person. Bitterness results as a wrong response to an unpleasant situation. Bitter people become consumed with the things that have happened to them. And if they were a Christian to start with, they're not running very well at all. If they're running at all. Bitter can also refer to poison. What happens to a plant that takes up poison through the roots. They die. Last summer, in 2019, I raised these punkins and gourds of the children. And I was trying to keep the weeds from growing. We had a little bit of leftover spray for the corn. And I figured if I spray between the rows, no weeds are going to grow. I'll just stay away from the plants. I don't think I got any spray on those plant leaves. But this spray worked as residual in the ground. Apparently I got too close and they sent their roots out far enough to pick up this spray. And they didn't die right away. They looked good for a while. But eventually leaves started turning yellow and some turned white. And some of the plants died. They took out poison. The Hebrews called poison bitter. In reading Adam Clark, he suggested that the root of bitterness could refer to unsound doctrine. And wrong doctrines creep in like poison and poison us if we're not careful. And they defile individuals or even whole churches. And spiritual fornication can take place. Lest there be any fornicator, we see in 16. Fornication is, is a spiritual fornication, unfaithfulness as the bride of Christ. Then we see we're to avoid profanity. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. Let's stop there. Esau, I'll read the rest of the verse. Who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. 
Esau did not place enough value on his birthright. We look at him as a very foolish person. One day he's out hunting, and he comes in and he's hungry. And his brother Jacob is cooking food. And Esau says, give me some food. And Jacob says, I'll sell you food for your birthright. Birthright, he got double portion of his father's goods. I have my doubts that Jacob really thought he'd, Esau would take him up on the offer. He'd probably just sing as a joke. But what did he do? He took up Jacob on the offer, sold the birthright, because he says, if I die, it won't do me any good anyway. Well, that's true. But was he really that hungry? Very unlikely. He was short-sighted. He said, I am hungry. I will do anything for food. In the same way, we're in danger. If we say, I'm tired of being different. I want out. Or I'm going to take a detour in the race. I'm going to skip some parts. We need to have patience. We need to endure pain, difficulty, provocation, or annoyance with calmness. We cannot allow ourselves to become disillusioned. Sometimes things do not work out as we plan. Actually, it's oftentimes they don't work out as we plan. We read about the seeds on the stony ground. They didn't grow because the people got, they represent people who got discouraged and gave up. Once again, as we read back in 1035, cast not away therefore your confidence, which have great recompense of reward. There's a great reward. Don't cast it away for a little bit of something like Esau did. If we turn back to Malachi, something that intrigued me some years ago. Malachi 2, verse 17. Malachi 2, 17. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, Wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, Everyone that doeth good is evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? Now, typically, this verse has been used in the context of people justifying wrong and calling evil good and good evil. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But it hit me in a different way. What if these are people who got discouraged and looked around, saw evil people, and made a wrong observation, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And God delights in them. So I think, and we got the same idea. We turn, look over at chapters, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Here in Malachi chapter 3, 14. Ye have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances? And that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now you call the proud happy. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. I think these people are getting disillusioned. They look around and they see the... They see people who don't obey God making out better than they do. God, 
People that, we, people that appear to be godly, who drop or don't observe scriptural principles that we hold to, can cause us to get shook up a little bit. Kind of like a way Peter faced. We can become puzzled and perplexed when there's godly people who ignore certain scriptural principles, yet they seem so godly. We could become disillusioned and get pulled off course. And it could become a wave like Peter faced. And we need to say, Lord, help me. We need to turn to the scripture. And and focus on truth and not focus on the waves and the winds around us. And sometimes there's some of those situations that we just need to be content that we don't understand. But our job is to obey God in faith, regardless of feelings, circumstances, or consequences. In Psalm 73, the psalmist Asap appeared to struggle with things like this. Psalm 73, we're not going to read the whole thing, just pick out a few verses. Psalm 73, starting at verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even as to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. And then drop it down to verse 13. He shall spare the poor. Oh, got the wrong. Verse 17. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed away my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued. And chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against a generation of my children, of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Psalmist is discouraged. He's looking around. He's trying to follow God. Life is hard. The wicked don't even try to follow God. They run completely contrary to God's will for their lives. Everything seems to be going good for them. And in 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. How do we go into the sanctuary of God? We fellowship with fellow believers who are being faithful. We stay in the word. We know the truth and hold to it. And then we get a right perspective. In the last verse, verse 28, but it is good for me, for me to draw near to God I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare thy works. He got his focus back on God and realized it's good for him. And he realizes that the wicked are actually in slippery places. Satan's just using them. Satan has them all under control and going to destroy them in the end. We need to hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful, that promised. And remember, we need each other. The idea of Christian fellowship, we can't go at it alone. 
at least we shouldn't try to. There are circumstances where people are banished to solitary confinement, and God is faithful, but we should not choose that. In Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, we're exhorted, and let us not and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now, we're not to provoke and make each other angry. It gives the idea of helping each other along. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And perhaps you realized, perhaps you noticed there was another Encouraging verse back in Malachi. Malachi 3.16. Malachi 3.16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord, and that thought upon his name, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. God is watching, even if it feels like he's not. We can boldly ask for help. We have free access to God. In Hebrews 4, we see this. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help. In time of need, we have access to God, and we don't need to go through a human high priest as they did in the Old Testament. There's a song I couldn't find in our hymn books, but it goes, portions go off. Times a day seems long, and our trials are hard to bear. Yes, sometimes they are. But life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. May each one be faithful, run with patience, and finish well. May we could kneel and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus was willing to come to this earth and be an example to us. We just pray you help us to each follow his example and run well, not get distracted, not get discouraged, not get disillusioned, but keep our focus on you and finish the race of, well, finish the race of life well. Just pray we help each other. Just pray we could exhort each other to remain faithful. Just thank you that you have made all this possible. Thank you that you did come to the earth as a baby, willing to pay that 
supreme sacrifice. To your name we pray. Amen.